Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. I'm supposed to say good morning back. Good morning. How's everybody doing on this sunny, warm Florida? Uh, I think we fooled the world, right? But hey, we welcome you today. Thanks for being with us. Uh, It says a lot when you'll come out in uh, 26 degree weather, I think it was this morning. But um, what an exciting time. Is anybody excited at what God is doing right now? I mean, it's just like mind-boggling, but it shouldn't be. It should be what we're expecting, right? And uh, before I get started, I just want, you may not know, but today, four years ago today, we uh, installed Pastor Brad and Ashley as the lead pastors of this church uh, now has been four years as of today. And can we just give a, a celebration of thank you for the amazing leaders that we have that God has blessed us with. And uh, that's right, you can stand. I don't care. It's, uh, they deserve it. But, uh, and then the entire pastoral and, and office staff team that God has blessed us here. Uh, and then you are dream teamers who just make it work every Sunday. So uh, we're just greatly blessed. But we're going to get right into the message today. We're in this series on taking ground. And uh, I, I want to start with um, a little story that I read years ago, but it was uh, February 26, 1992 in the Wall Street News Journal, the most influential newspaper in the world. On the front page was a story of a couple called Walter and Annie Morgan of Mariana, Florida. It reported that after 46 years of marriage, this African-American couple living in the segregated South, six miles from the Alabama state line, raised 18 children in a tiny two-bedroom, wooden-framed house down a little dirt road. That's a lot of mouths to feed. Six girls, 12 boys, in a little two-bedroom home, segregated south, in poverty at its deepest level. And here, this most influential newspaper in the world interviewed Walter and Annie Morgan, and they said that they figured out that the only way they survived it was not by economic means, but by spiritual means. When they asked Annie Morgan, how did you do it? Her response was, I guess I would just have to say, the Lord has blessed me. But I want to use their story, and we're going to come back to it at the end, to talk to you on what I want to share with you today about, because they definitely understood a crisis of insufficiency. And I want to talk to you on that topic today, the crisis of insufficiency, when what you have is not enough. Anybody been there? There's more bills than you have money in your bank. There's more struggle in your marriage than you feel like you've got grace to give to it. Your children are acting like demons and you don't know what to do. There's situations, there's job issues, there's health issues, and you look at what you've got and it's not enough to resolve this issue. And I want to go to a story this morning that we find in 1 Kings chapter 17, and it starts off with Elijah, the prophet of the hour, and God uses Elijah and he sends him to King Ahab to give a message, a prophetic word, and he says to the king, King, there is a drought coming, there is a famine coming, and for three and a half years there will be no rain on the earth. And he prophesied that word to King Ahab, and during that drought, the Bible says that that Elijah, he drank water from the brook of Cherith, that the ravens brought food down to him, But after three and a half years, eventually, Elijah's brook dried up. There was no food for the ravens to bring to him. 
Now the very prophecy that he had made is now impacting him. He's in need. And I want to go ahead and blow up some of this false theology that's been brought to us over the years by a lot of this hyper-faith movement that just because you're in the will of God does not mean you're not going to still face some trouble. The favor of God is not exempt from trouble. Just because you're walking in the middle and the center of God's will doesn't mean obstacles are still not going to come in your path. Marriage issues are not going to arise in your family. Children issues aren't going to come in your home. Grief or sorrow is not going to impact your life. And Elijah now feels it. The very message that he gave to the king is now impacting him. And I want to go to the text we're going to use today. And God gives a word to Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7 through 16, sometimes later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may drink? As she was going to get it, he called again and said, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have a cake, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf of bread from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain upon the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was never used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now, we've, if you've been in church, you've read this story, but we see now that God sends the prophet to this woman, but God gave Elijah a word. He said, I have prepared a widow lady to sustain you. So when Elijah gets to Zarephath, he's looking, you know, for Hilton Garden, buffet, bed, breakfast, and he finds this widow lady gathering sticks. Doesn't seem like God honored his word too well. And he calls out to her and says, I want you to bring me something to drink and bring me a piece of bread. He arrives and he doesn't find what he is speaking for or thinking for. Maybe Elijah did not understand the widow lady is thinking. The brook is dried up. The water supply is gone. There's no water for crops. The fields are parsed. There's no wheat that can grow. Where there can be no wheat, there can be no meal. Where there can be no meal, there can be no bread. And it is at this very moment that the widow lady stops and looks and speaks directly back to the prophet. As surely as the Lord your God lives. She's not a believer. As surely as the Lord your God lives, Elijah, I don't have any bread. All I've got is a handful of flour, a little oil in a jug. 
I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to start a fire to make enough for me and my son to eat, and then we're going to die. It's not that I don't have it. It's not that I don't want to give it. I just can't give you what I don't have. It's not that I'm stingy or inhospitable. I just can't give you what I don't have, prophet. It's not that I'm not willing to share. It's just there's none to share. I have a little, but it's not enough. What I have is insufficient. I want to talk to you very quickly, and then I want to take you on a little journey. The causes of this lady's insufficiency. Number one is she had insufficient means. She had insufficient means. She was not exaggerating the crisis of her pantry. Her limitations were real. There was no meat in her freezer, no food in her fridge, nothing on the shelves of her pantry. There was no meals on wheels, no shelter or mission to assist her. She had no church family to aid her. A handful of flour and a small jug of oil. To me and you, that qualifies for insufficiency. So she was not exaggerating her situation. And God's not asking you and asking me for an exaggeration of our, our bank account or our marriage or our situation. He just wants us to look and be honest at what do we have. And her situation was she was in a dire situation of insufficiency. She had insufficient means. But what struck me was she also had insufficient vision. All she saw was what she did not have. This is going to be quiet a little bit, but you're going to be hanging with me in a minute, all right? All she saw was what she did not have. The prophet asked for a piece of bread. She responded with, I don't have any bread. All I have is a small handful of flour. She didn't talk about what she had. She said, prophet, I don't have what you're asking. She had insufficient vision. And can I say to you today, what you and I see as obstacles, God sees as opportunities. We're going somewhere. What we see as trials, God calls them tests. We're like, why are you trying me? God said, I've got you on a test, and if you'll pass it, I've got a miracle waiting for you. Sitting an obstacle is an opportunity, and God brought the prophet to bring an opportunity to this lady, but she wasn't seeing the opportunity. She was seeing the obstacle. She wasn't seeing the test. She was seeing it as a trial. God had a miracle coming her way, and she's not recognizing it because she's seeing it wrong. Can I tell you many of the most darkest difficult situations in mind in your lives that we were responding to out of what we did not have? were direct sovereign opportunities God had put in front of us for us to see the favor and blessing of God reign in our life. And we'll never find it as long as we're seeing what we don't have and we're missing what we do have. Number three, she had insufficient faith. Just bear with my voice. I'm coming off of bronchitis, but we were not giving up this message today. She had insufficient faith. Her greatest insufficiency was not her food. It was her faith. Three and a half years of drought, struggle, frustration, loneliness, hopelessness. That'll wear your faith down, my friend. The ability to look beyond her present situation seemed impossible now. How dare this prophet show up at her house 
in such a dire situation and have the nerve to look at her and say, go get me some water and bring me a piece of bread first. How dare he show up in the name of his God and say, take care of me first and then I'll supply for you and your family. Sounds like God, doesn't it? Give and it shall be given unto you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Love your enemies. Makes no sense. But that's what makes it supernatural. Faith for anything was not on her radar. All hope seemed gone. So here she is now. Not only is she in a difficult situation, not only is she in a test, Now she's been ordered and commanded and asked by a prophet to give to me first and then God's going to supply for you and your family. And in that, God brought her a cure. Now we're going to have some fun. What's her cure? God sent her somebody. God ever sent you somebody? God, everybody sent you a bowl of soup when you were homesick? God ever sent you a $100 handshake when you didn't know how you was going to put gas in your car? God ever sent you a raise that was totally unexpected? God ever sent you a friend in your time of loneliness? God ever sent you a word on a Sunday morning when you came in here? You didn't need a sermon. You, you didn't need a preacher. You didn't need a choir. You didn't need a song. You just needed a word. You just needed a word from somebody. It didn't even come from this pulpit. It came from somebody out in the lobby that put their arm around you and spoke a word of life to you. God sent you somebody. God sent her somebody. No one was concerned that the little lady was there long, her son starving, both about to die. But God sent her somebody. Luke 6, 38 says, give, and it will be given back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Get this, get this. Will they, who's they? Whoever God sends you. They will put into your lap. For with that measure you measure or give, it will be measured to you again. What God said is when you give, when you, when you give of what you've got left in your marriage, when you give of what you've got left in your wallet, when you give of what you've got, God said others are going to unexpectedly, it's going to catch you by surprise. Things are going to start showing up in your lap. The favor of God, the unexpected, is going to come to your house. The unexpected is going to come to your lap. The favor, the blessing of God is just going to show up. Kathy and I, we got married in 1980. We grew up in central Florida. I was 21. She was 20 on our wedding day. Three weeks after our wedding, we packed up a U-Haul truck. We moved to the South Bronx, New York. There we started our ministry and our marriage. I worked volunteer at the church on no salary for two years My wife worked as a bank teller at a bank, brought home $137 a week. Our rent was $1,200 a month. You do the math. It don't work out. It was a faith journey. We were told by the professors of my college that you're crazy to go. Here I was in Bible college. I was taught faith for four years. And then when I tried to walk it, my professor was like, you're going to starve? 
Well, they're going to kill you one. My unchurched friends were going, go on, trust God, Dan. He'll take care of you. So I trusted my friends. We went to New York. We thought we was going to starve. We knew what it was like to order a large pizza and eat a slice a day and keep it in the refrigerator and eat another slice the next day. After about four days, that dude's turning to rubber. You know what I'm talking about? But then one day I got a phone call. And this man on the phone said, my name's Freddie. I go to the church that you come to work at. And I need to come by and talk to you. I said, okay. He came by. We were on the fifth floor of an apartment complex. Had iron gates on every window, five locks on the front door. Not exaggerating. I opened the door and here stood this old short, rough looking Puerto Rican dude. He had two big old bags. He never asked if he could come in. He just walked by me. He walked over to my little kitchen table. Our chairs were so cheap. If you weighed over 150 pounds, we wouldn't let you sit on them. All four legs would go out, you know. I mean, it was just, but we were happy. We were in the middle of God's will. You with me? But I'd already told God. I said, God, we're not leaving. If we ever, if we'd ever peace in this city, we're staying. We've got the heart for these people. We're not running from this God. That man set two bags on my table. He started pulling out New York Strip. Prime rib, bacon, eggs, butter. I said, the dude's a magician, man. I'm looking, how's he getting all this out of these bags? I mean, he's just pulling out. He said, my name's Freddie again. I own a meat market down the road. I was in prayer this week. He said, I used to be a pimp and a dope dealer, but Jesus saved me. He said, I go to the church that you've come serving at. He said, God told me you and your wife were hungry. He told me to bring you by some good meat and food every second Tuesday. For three and a half years, that Puerto Rican dude showed up at my front door with prime rib, New York strip. I'm talking, we were eating fine while those professors eating hot dogs in Central Florida. You know what I'm talking about? He sent us somebody. They sent us out from New York. We needed a motorhome. We, we didn't have, we traveled the country to, to, to bring a message of, against injustice and to reach out to the poor and the broken areas of our communities across our country. And we needed a motorhome. We had no money down. We found the motorhome we wanted, but we needed $10,000 down. We didn't have $10. But then a couple called us the very week. I'm not exaggerating. My wife's here. The very week, a couple from Boca Raton, Florida, Richard and Gloria Mayer, who were in the Bronx but now retired in Boca, called us and said, Dan, God spoke to us this week, and we want to know where you're at. We're bringing you a check for $10,000. God sent us somebody. Come here. You with me? We bought that motor home. We traveled the country in it. But then God called us to Kentucky. We needed a house. We had no money down. 32 men put up $100 each without us knowing it and paid the deposit so we could move in that house. We had no furniture. We'd been in a motor home. I'd lived in that, a three-bedroom home. We had no furniture. But then this guy, Vern Baldwin, from Baldwin's uh, a company in, in Hamilton, Ohio, a furniture store, he said, Dan, I want you to come up. I want you to look at some furniture I got for you. I said, that's a high dollar store. I know we ain't buying nothing from there, you know? And so I, I waited. I waited a couple months. He kept calling me. He finally called and said, Dan, I said to come up. God told me to bless you. I know those sales pitch. You know what I'm saying? And so we finally, we're desperate. So we drive up to Hamilton, an hour drive. I walk in. I said, Vern, living room suit only. And I don't want the high dollar stuff. He said, I got this, Dan. He set me in a room. He called his interior decorator in. 
He said, I want him a living room suit, dining room suit, three bedroom suits. He said, the best we've got. I said, no, we're not. No, no, we're not. We're not doing that. He said, sit down. I got this. The woman put together $32,000 worth of the toppest quality furniture of that day. I said, Vern, this is not happening. He said, well, you listen to me. I called you three months ago because God told me to bless you. He said, you owe me $300 for it all. Give me a dollar a month until it's paid for and go home and quit fussing at me. I'm telling you, God sent me somebody and it just fell in my lap. We were in a motor home and we were pulling a little Dodson wagon that wouldn't even climb the hills of Kentucky. You know what I'm talking about? I needed a vehicle. And so I'm in my office at the church and this guy, Ralph Spalding, this is all true. I'm trying to get you to, I want to motivate your faith a little bit today. And so I, I needed a vehicle and this guy, Ralph Spalding, he comes by and he says, Dan, want to go to lunch? I says, sure. He said, come on, well, you can ride with me. I go out. He's in his black Toyota truck, mag wheels, everything. He said, here you drive, threw me the key. I got in the seat, cranked it up, looked down, and there's a title with my name on it. He said, God told me to bless you and give you this truck. Put it in my lap. God sent me somebody. Come on, you with me here today? It's a journey that I'm trying to tell you that when you connect with the sovereignty of God and you quit telling God what you don't have, he's going to put you on a journey with people that do have and out of their bosom, God said, I'm going to drop it in your lap. When you give me what I ask of you, you're connecting into a divine relationship that opens the heavens for the divine favor of God to pour into your life. And it comes in the most uncommon and most unexpected ways, but it comes. So then we, God called us to Cincinnati, Ohio to, to start a church in the inner city. I have no money. The only building that was available down there was an old theater that had been shut down for 14 years. It was seat 800, but it had been shut down. We walked in it. Kathy walked in with me. She'll be here in the next service. She's in the nursery. And she said, please tell me you're not thinking about this one. I said, there's only one down here, baby. It had a roof, a hole in the roof bigger than this stage. It had cats running through it bigger than rats. I ain't lying. I mean, rats bigger than cats. I ain't lying. She said, please tell me not this one. I said, I think this is it. God said, this is it. So we got it. We started fixing that place up. I had a hole in the roof. Well, I roofed as a teenager, but I couldn't fix that. So I went, and all of a sudden, I got a phone call. And this man come, and he said, I... I need to talk to you. He said, I hear you need a roof. And he said, I own a roofer's union and I run a roofer's union. He said, I got 42 men in an apprenticeship clap that need on the job hours. And I want to know, can we put that roof on for you? I said, that's fine, but I don't have no material. He said, we got that covered too. And they put that brand new roof on my building without me calling anybody asking for it. He sent me somebody. I didn't have any instruments. I, a church called me from downtown uh, South Kentucky and said, we got a Yamaha Baby Grand electric piano that someone just gave us. It's over $6,000, but we hear you need one. The people said we had to sell it, so we want to know, do you want it for a dollar? I said, on my way. You hearing what I'm saying to you today? We come to Pensacola. 
and we start Hearts of Love Ministry, which is what this church was when we started. Pastor Brad shared it last Sunday. We didn't have the building. We were evicted from where we were. We had a promise of a one on Fairfield, but then we couldn't raise the $10,000 to get it. They only wanted $180,000 for it. We had two days left to raise $180,000. The banks laughed at us because we didn't have the support of a congregation that had longevity. And so that morning, I got a phone call from Pastor Joe Arminio in Nutley, New Jersey. He said, Pastor Dan, what's going on down there? I told him. He said, the Holy Spirit woke me up this morning and told me to call you. I told him we had to have 180 grand. We had 10,000 of it raised. He said, give me 15 minutes. He called me back in five. He said, I just called our leadership. We're wiring you down $170,000 right now for you to buy that building. God sent me somebody. Come on, y'all with me here today. While we were in that building, Katrina hit. We had just signed an agreement on a nursing home to start a rehab program for people coming out of prison. I called the owner and said, can I open that up as a shelter? Had 84 rooms. Didn't have a bed, didn't have a can of corn. Didn't have a dollar to our name to do it. But I had a vision. that We were going to take all, because when in our parking lot were vehicles, covering our parking lot from families from Katrina, that I watched the parents sleep under their vehicles so their kids could be safe inside. We opened up that shelter with nothing. And in 18 months, I watched over half a million dollars cash come through our hands from all over the country. In Portland, Oregon, the professional basketball team took up an offering at halftime and sent us down $42,000. We watched bars in this city call me. Strip clubs in this city called me. I met with the owners and they said, will you take money from a strip club? I said, he said he'll take from the wicked and give to the righteous. You absolutely right. I didn't say that out loud. I was just thinking it. But I watched God. I remember my wife and I was in the furniture store. We were getting ready with our card to buy beds for 84 rooms and charge it and just trust God. While I'm standing there about to hand a card to the people at the furniture store, my phone rings. This is not exaggerating. I'm telling everything the truth. A family from California called my personal cell phone and explained who they were and said, we heard what you're doing and my company wants to provide all the bedding. I'm at the furniture store about to pay for the bedding. And God has somebody in California that's ready to drop a miracle in my lap and pay for all the betting. And I can go on and on and on and tell you a story. And now here we are on 6800 Mobile Highway. And we're sitting out preaching in a facility that God literally dropped in our lap. And then it doesn't stop there. Pastor Brad's got his own stories to tell now. Because now we got 11 more acres. Now we've got an investor wanting to invest 25 to 30 million dollars. Come on, are y'all with me today? I'm trying to get your faith to move a little bit through my own personal story today to let you know that when you connect what you've got with the will of God, there's supernatural things about to happen in your life. 
God sent her somebody. But then last of all, God keeps his promises. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food for every day for Elijah, for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping the word of the Lord by Elijah. When she gave what she had to the prophet, when she obeyed the word that was given her, her cruise of oil never ran dry. Her flour never ran out. While the rest of the community was still in drought and starvation, her household was well because God sent her somebody. And when she obeyed the word of the Lord, God honored it and he kept his promise to her. Here's what he said to us in Jeremiah 1.12. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is Fulfilled. Can I tell you today and mine in your life, you know what God's doing? And I got to wrap up with this. You know what God's doing? He's watching what you and I do because he wants to watch and make sure that his word is fulfilled in mine in your life. Anybody in here going through something right now? Anybody in here want to join me that as we enter this re, uh, Imagine campaign? How many can imagine 222 is the greatest year of your marriage? How many can imagine 222 is the greatest years of your financial breakthrough? How how many can imagine 222 is the greatest year of your spiritual journey? Come on, anybody with me here? You see, insufficient, insufficient is only insufficient when it's not connected to the promises of God. But when you connect the insufficient to God's word, supernatural things begin to take place. God asked Moses one day, he's faced with the Red Sea, Migdal's on one side, Baal king of the north on the other. The Red Sea's in front of him, the Egyptian army's coming after him. And God said, Moses, what's that in your hand? A stick, a stick. I need a boat, but I got a stick. He said, hold it over the water. And when Moses took an insignificant stick and connected it to the promise of God's word, Come on, somebody. Red Sea began to part. And they walked through victorious on dry ground. Why? It wasn't what, what he had. It was willing. Was he willing to connect it to the word of God? He asked David, what, what, what's that David's face with a giant? Da- David, what, what do you have? Slingshot. Slingshot, stone. God said, okay, we're going to do something with this. He said, you go face that giant, but go get four more of those stones. Get five, because the dude's got four big brothers. Might need them later. He goes down, gets those. You know the story. He goes to battle, slings the stone. Giant comes down. What happened? An insignificant slingshot connected to the promises of God brought the giant in David's life down. He looked at Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was faced with the armies of the Moabites and the Ammonites. They were outnumbered by massive numbers. Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord, what do we do? What do we do? And God said, get your singers out. What do you you have, Jehoshaphat? A choir? Song? He said, get them out, Jehoshaphat. Put them in front of your soldiers. Boy, talk about making no sense. 
He said, get, get your singers out, Jehoshaphat. Put them on the front line. Tell them to begin to march. I've got some promises already made for you, but you've got to connect what you've got to my promise. You've got to connect what you've got to my word. And when you give what you've got to my promise, supernatural things are going to happen. And all of a sudden, when Jehoshaphat told the choir to sing and march, and the soldiers marched behind them, the Bible said the Ammonites and the Moabites began to fight and confusion hit, and they killed each other while the army of God just marched and sang. He asked Joshua, what do you have, Joshua? Walls of Jericho, the massive obstacle separating them from their promised land. All of God's a shout. All of God's a shout. Moses had a stick. David had a stone. Jehoshaphat had a song. Joshua had a shout. God said, Joshua, tell the Israelites to get ready. We're going to march around this thing seven times. There's a study in the Bible called topology, the study of numbers. Every day had a reason. God said, I want you to march around it because we're connecting our obedience to God's favor. Are you with me? We're connecting our obedience, what we've got, to God's favor. God said, I want you to march around that wall. Day one, I want you to march around for God. One in the Bible is the number of God. God don't need seven times to do anything. He just needs one. He said, I want you to do it for me on day one. March around that wall. Hold your peace. Don't say nothing. Be silent. I've got your miracle coming, Joshua. They marched around, held their peace. Day two come. Two in the Bible is the number of witness. God said, this day, I'm going to bear witness with the Holy Spirit and your spirit of the miracle I'm about to do here at Jericho. You just keep marching and hold your peace. Don't say nothing. Your miracle's coming. Day three came. Three in the Bible is the number of the Trinity. God said on day three, the Holy Spirit's about to do a work. Or God's about to do a work. The Spirit's about to release His power. The Son's going to be involved. You just keep marching. Hold your peace. Uh, the Trinity's fighting the battle for you. Day four in the Bible is the number of the earth. There's four seasons of the earth, four basic colors of the earth, four corners of the earth. He said, Joshua, get ready because I'm about to do a miracle here at Jericho that's going to get the attention of the whole earth from the north, south, east, and west. They're going to talk about what I'm doing here at Jericho. You just keep holding your peace, Joshua, and keep obeying my word. My promise is going to come to you. Day five came. Five in the Bible is the number of grace. By day five, they were like you and I. We're going, what's going on with our preacher? Something happening here. We've been marching for four days now. There ain't nothing happening. Ain't nothing going on here, Joshua. Day five, that man, that flesh, uh, little bickering, little talking starting to go on. He told them to hold their peace uh, and march. By day five, they needed some grace. Uh, day six came. Six in the Bible is the number of man. One six economic leader. Two six a political leader. Three six a religious leader. Six, 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 uh, the personality of the Antichrist. He said, your flesh, your man, hood is going to rise up by day six when I've got a miracle waiting for you. At about day six you're going, this thing don't work. All this stuff Pastor Brad's been preaching about ain't happening. My marriage is still in trouble. I've still got financial issues. Uh, ain't nothing happening in this Christian thing. Uh, I'm going to go back to my drugs. I'm going to go back to my fornication. going to go back to that lifestyle. going to go back. No, no. God said uh, that flesh, that humanity is going to rise up on 
on day six, but you got to keep marching and hold your peace. I've got a promise waiting for you. Day seven came. Seven in the Bible is the number of fulfillment. It means it can't get worse. It's about to get better. God said, Joshua, get the high priest. Tell him to get the silver trumpet out. Silver in the Bible speaks of redemption. A man brought a half a shekel of silver to make redemption for his soul. The ram's horn, he said, get out the ram's horn. The ram's horn spoke of the power of the animal. And God said, Joshua, tell him to get out the silver trumpet of redemption. Get out the ram's horn of the power of the Holy Spirit and tell the people to get ready. And when the priest blows the trumpet, of redemption and the horn of the Holy Spirit tell the people to shout like they've never shouted in their life and all of a sudden on day seven he gave that signal that horn began to blow that trumpet began to blow with those people begin to shout and pastor Brad and I've been to Israel and the walls didn't crumble like you think they did the Bible and history tells us that the earth literally opened its mouth and swallow those walls into the ground. I've been there as the divine supernatural miracle happened in the eyes of the Israelites because God keeps his promises. And I'm here to tell you today that no matter where you are in your life, where you are on your journey, whatever situation your marriage is facing, whatever financial crisis you might find yourself, I know I've yelled at you today, I'm having to to get something out. But I hope you're getting what I'm trying to say. That this is a season and a year. I'm so excited. I've never been more excited in my life about kingdom and ministry than I am right now. I don't have to be the leader to be excited. I'm more excited. Are you hearing what I'm saying? My wife and I are talking right now. Just imagine. I remember the faith that we walked in when we packed that U-Haul and went to New York. And we're talking right now. We want to go back to that same level of faith. And we're saying, God, what do you want us to give in this campaign that's going to stretch our faith just like you did when we were 20 and 21 years old? We want to watch your hand keep working on our family lineage. I want to see the favor of God continue to fall on this house called TC, this house of God, your family, your household. And the question today is, are you willing to take that insignificant that you have and quit telling God why you don't have anything and start recognizing what he did give you and give it back to him and watch God do something supernatural in your life? It's going to happen, my friend. I said it's going to happen. God's got something special for you. He's got something supernatural for you. And I get to watch it in my children's lives now. And I could tell you 30 more stories. I, I shared with Pastor Brad the other day when his, we were talking about what we were going to share. And I know I've chopped this all up. And I'm hoping I'm making sense to you today. But I'm, I'm saying this. I, I told Pastor Brad. I said, Pastor Brad, we, I, there's 30 more stories. This isn't just something that one little thing happened. We've watched the promises of God over and over and over and over. And how many is ready to walk into a year that you're not going, I'm not doing another year of survival. I'm not doing another year of survival. I'm not doing another year of survival. You will if you don't do anything different. This is a year that I'm going to say, God, I'm going to give more time to your kingdom than I've ever given. I'm going to find a way to serve more than I've ever served. I'm going to find a way, God, I'm going to take what you've given me and I'm going to give to you and I'm going to trust you to do something supernatural with it. And I'm going to challenge you as I challenge my family as we go into this imagine. I know they said we might, we're going, our goal is to raise 1.2 million over three years. I say let's go for the whole 2-4. 
Come on, anybody with me? I mean, if he's got 1.2, I think he's got 2.4. I mean, we're going to go. Let's go. But God's got something great for your family. He's got something great for you. What happened to Walter and Annie Morgan? I know I'm past my time, so I'm going to give it to you in close. 18 children. All 18 graduated from high school. 10 went to college. Two brick masons, one carpenter, one chef, two in the armed services, one postal clerk, one computer program, one teacher, one correction officer, and three preachers. 46 grandchildren. They didn't let their insufficient means become a reason why they couldn't conquer and survive and thrive. And can I tell you today, it's time that we stop telling God what we don't have and stop letting what we don't have be a reason that we don't do. And let's give God what we do have and let's watch God do some supernatural breakthroughs in our lives and in our families. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you, God, that you're a faithful God and you're faithful to your word. God, as I've chopped this thing up horribly today, I just pray that, God, you somehow take words that we've said and, God, let it touch the hearts of your people. God, that we'll not enter this new year, God, with worry or anxiety or fear or frustration. But, God, we will walk into this new season, God, with a hope and a faith and a trust that, God, you've got something amazing and supernatural waiting for us. God, I pray over every family right now and every individual, God. I pray over our marriages. I pray over our finances. I pray over our health. I pray, God, that our ministries, our giftings, that, God, this year will be a year that we stop and look at what we do have to offer, not what we don't have to give. I pray, Father, that you will open our hearts and our eyes, God, to realize that we have a part, a chance to be part of something way bigger than us in your kingdom. And if we just bring what we do have to the table, God, you will take it. You will bless it. You will part oceans with it, God. You will conquer enemies with it, Father. You will take down giants with it, Lord. God, you will open seas before us, Father. You will rain down manna from heaven, God. It will fall in our lap, the favor, the blessing of God. Because, God, you honor your word and you keep your promises. So, Father, I pray over every person in here today that, God, you will honor your word in our life. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here right now, maybe you're in this room and you're, you're not where you want to be with Jesus. Maybe you're not where you need to be with Christ. And you say, Pastor Dan, today I want to start at step one. I need Jesus in my life, and I just want you to pray for me. God bless you. If you would, would you just lift your hands? Somebody already lifting their hands. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to come to you. I just want to pray a prayer for you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hand. God bless you. You can put your hand down. I, I want to start at step one, Pastor. I need Jesus. I need him in my life. Pray for me. Anyone else? You pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you now. You said in your word, if I would just confess, believe in my heart that I can receive you as my Lord and Savior, I ask you now, come in my heart, 
Change my life. Make me brand new as I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.